Manila and Mumbai and Cape Town and Berlin and Madrid and Paris, London, Dublin. These are some of the cities we're working in. And most of them said, say hi. Um, but I do. I, I, I give you a greeting. And they say they pray for you. Uh, please pray for them. That's their, uh, that's their constant request. So uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, blessing and privilege to be here with you today. And um, I wanted to kind of direct your attention to the reason why we are here. The reason why... Um, these uh, wonderful guys going to Bangladesh, this is the reason they're going, uh, the reason we do our work. It's all back in these nativity texts, these Christmas texts that we have heard for years and years, most of us, uh, that talk about uh, God breaking into our world and doing something incredibly new. So uh, let us uh, pray as we listen, as we, uh, as we think about these things, that God will make this new again to us. Um, if you have a Bible, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Um, if you find a Bible there in, uh, in your, your pew and you're new to the Bible, just go to the middle, turn right, about 14 books, you'll find Matthew, that's where we'll be. So, uh, Matthew chapter 1. And I'm going to read several verses for you, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is God's word. Uh, There's so much uh, here in this rich text. But I want you to consider one thing. Focus on on one thing. Mary, uh, she received Jesus Christ in a very unique way, obviously. Uh, no one will ever receive Jesus Christ into their life like Mary did. But Joseph is, is a bit different. With Joseph, we can identify a bit more. Because Joseph was also uh, receiving Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was coming to his life as well. And at this text right here, Joseph is standing on the precipice of this huge event. And his temptation is to sweep Jesus away. That's... That's his Christmas temptation. Um, Jesus is coming to his life, and he is wrestling with rejecting entrance to Jesus, not letting him come, not letting him come in, refusing entrance. Notice what uh, Joseph must have been thinking. Um, Here's the woman I love. Here's the woman I'm engaged to. Here's the woman I want to spend uh, the rest of my life with. And in the middle of our engagement, she's pregnant. And it's not me. What am I going to do with this? So Joseph is about to break off the engagement. And as I'm sure you know, in the ancient Near East, the, uh, the betrothal, the engagement, was such an important and binding social contract that to break off an engagement, you had to actually get 
a divorce, an official document. This is a big deal, and this is what uh, Joseph is contemplating. Think about what's going on in, in Joseph's mind. You see what it says there in verse 19? It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a, a righteous man. Joseph thought he was actually being pretty big about this. I mean, look what she's done to me. Um, I'm not going to, to submit her to a public trial, to public disgrace. I'm not going to, to ruin her life, although her life is going to be ruined. She is going to suffer great humiliation, but maybe I can put it off a little bit. I'm not going to make a big scene by announcing she's pregnant. It's not me. Let her suffer the consequences. I'm not going to do that. Rather, I'm going to do it quietly. He says, I'm a righteous man, and this is wrong. I know Leviticus 22. I know what the Bible says. This is wrong. This is against God's law, and it sure hurts me. And so I'm going to, I'm going to put her away, but I'll do it quietly. Maybe I can buy her a little time if I do this quietly. Because I'm a righteous man, but I'm also a kind man. That's what I'm thinking. Now, he thinks that's the issue. I'm a righteous man. I'm a kind man. I'll do this quietly. Do you notice the angel doesn't agree with Joseph? That's the issue, Joseph. Really? And basically, the essence of what the angel says to to Joseph is this. Uh, the, The issue here, Joseph, is not that you're trying to do the right thing. It's that you're a coward. That's why the angel says, do not be afraid, Joseph. You think your problem is fear or is, uh, is uh, doing the right thing. Your problem is really fear. You're wrestling with being a coward. That's what's going on here. And so he sets him straight. The angel says, don't be afraid. And here's the point. We're being shown that to be a Christian takes above most things, it requires you to have courage. That's, what's, that's what Joseph is showing us here. The courage it takes to receive the real Christ. To receive Christ and all those other um, unexpected Christian uh, Christmas gifts that come along with him. When you receive Christ, there are other things that come along. Joseph shows us the courage that it takes, that he took that he had, but the courage that we're also going to have to have if we truly receive Jesus Christ. Uh, let me go through these, these three uh, other gifts that it takes great courage to receive. There'll be uh, misunderstanding and disdain, uh, the adventure of the lordship of Jesus, and spiritual sanity. Those are the three points. That's where we're going. So the first is this. Joseph is being challenged to have the courage to face up to, to receive misunderstanding and, and disdain. So Joseph thinks, I'm doing this because I'm nice. I'm a, I'm a good guy. I'm righteous. The truth is, again, look at verse 19. Mary is disgraced. That's what's happening with Mary. Joseph is trying to postpone the, the inevitable, but her reputation is cooked. Now, I'm not sure what the life is like in Lake Grove, but if you've lived in a small town, especially with a a little bit of density, and everybody knows your business, everybody knows what's happening. Oh, yeah, you know the Smiths. They just had a big fight. That's the kind of thing that that Mary and Joseph are living in, a small town. Everybody knows your business. Her reputation is over. She's disgraced. 
in a, in a real sense, her life is blown up. You know, even if he marries her immediately, people know, right? They're going to figure this out. I mean, even today, don't we do this? Uh, we do this little calculation in our heads. Oh, you, you got married in January the 4th. How nice. And you're having a baby in May. Right. Yeah, we can add. We can do the math. Uh, the same thing would happen here, right? Obviously, in this traditional culture, uh, Joseph realized that her life is over. No one's going to believe her. And the story that she has, her life is going to be ruined. She can't face her friends, her family. She can't have life as, uh, as she normally would do. She'll be disdained, ostracized, cut off. Her life was blown up. And why? Well, because God had come to Mary in, in such a bold way, in such a physical way. We've, we've never seen anything like this. This blows our categories we have no way to let this kind of information in. We don't know whether to believe this. It doesn't fit. We wouldn't have done it this way. And so, disgrace. And Joseph's wrestle is if he is to receive Christ by receiving Mary, by going ahead with the, the marriage, he knows. By linking his life to Mary, he is linking his life to her disgrace. By identifying with her and with Christ, all the disdain, all the misunderstanding, all the disgrace that she now has will come to him. And the only way for him to escape that and to save his reputation is to divorce her, to get rid of her quietly, quickly, but to do it. If he goes ahead with this, if he goes ahead with the marriage, receives Mary and Christ who's coming, his reputation is over. They'll think all of his friends, family, business associates will think you're either stupid or wrong or even immoral. One thing's clear. Both of you have disobeyed God. Now, that's the reputation kinds of questions. That's the fear kind of question that Joseph is facing. He's facing the misunderstanding and the disdain of the world. And anyone who truly receives Christ, you're going to face the same kind of thing you're going to need the same kind of courage. Why? Well, because quite simply, the world does not understand this. It doesn't understand the gospel. That's the last thing. If I bring this child into my life, I bring the disdain of the world. And I'm sure you have experienced this with, with your own friends. If you go to your place of work and you begin to, to talk to people and say, I've met Jesus Christ. He's come to me. He's shown me his grace. My sins are forgiven. Uh, I know God. I know that he loves me. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know I'm going to heaven. What do your friends tend to say? Modern society hears that kind of thing and says, how could you be so arrogant? How could you say this? How could you be so confident that your take on spirituality is the right one? The world doesn't understand the gospel. The world would tend to say to you, listen, if there's a God, the only people who are going to really find God are the really, really good people. So you Christians say you know God. You're confident you're going to heaven. How arrogant. You guys think that you're better than anybody else. You ever heard that? You think you're better. 
And that's part of the misunderstanding that always comes with the gospel. Part of the courage that's called for you. If you're going to really uh, receive Christ, this is the kind of courage that you'll have to receive, welcome this misunderstanding, even the disdain that comes with the world. Christians, you try to make yourself understood to your, to your friend who knows you now you're a, a Christian. What do, we, do we, what do we say? Of course, uh, we don't think we're any better. We know that we're deeply broken and we're sinful, but we are forgiven. We do believe we're forgiven because it's come as a gift. We didn't earn it. And the world says, yeah, whatever. That makes no sense. I still think you're arrogant. Are you willing to have the courage to receive that, like Joseph. That's why you can't really receive Jesus without this kind of courage, the kind of courage Joseph shows us. I'm sure you've seen this in, uh, in your daily life, people who thought well of you before you were a Christian. And now mm, it's like they're nice people, yeah, yeah they're, but they're, they're religious, you know? Yeah, he was, he's, he's a nice guy. I like this guy. He's, he's a good guy at work, but he's kind of, he's a little strange. Maybe he'll get through this phase. Maybe he'll kind of iron out. He thinks he's like the son of God or something. I don't know. Uh, people who before thought you were maybe good spouse material, now you become a Christian, they're kind of revising the list. They don't, you know. In your, in your workplace, there are always people who are power people, people of influence. If you want to be growing in your career, if you want to have a stable job, you don't want to be outside of that, that inner circle. And if you're a Christian, now you're an unknown quantity. Now people don't know what you'll do. Perhaps you were, uh, you've read about the Watergate scandal that happened during the Richard Nixon administration. Um, some of you were actually alive during that time. Your pastor was alive um, uh, during that time. So um, there was a, a man famously uh, special counsel to President Nixon, Charles Colson. He was called the Hatchet Man. He was the author of many of the dirty tricks that happened during this administration. He was indicted, had to go to, to, to court, go to prison. During this whole process, he became a Christian. And he was vilified and excoriated in the press because no one knew. Now that he's Christian, no one knew what he was going to say. No one knew. He was living under a whole different set of rules a different view of life and truth. And he was totally misunderstood. He had to have courage to face that. Yeah, you too. As you receive Christ, you will also uh, need courage to face the kinds of questions. But may I just say, my friends, if you're apprehensive about talking about your own story, your own faith with Christ, uh, talking to your friends about that, just remember these two impoverished, largely illiterate teenagers who received Christ. The people who rejected them, who despised them, who made fun of them, do you know where they are now? Do you know anything about them? Do you know their names? They're lost in the midst of time. But these two who dared to receive Christ, they helped change the world. That's what that courage does. So here's the first point. The, the courage, if you receive Christ, you need the courage to also receive misunderstanding and even disdain. Joseph thought it was all about him just being a good guy, obedient guy. It really was about his fear of losing his reputation. The second Christmas gift that comes with Christ that we weren't expecting. 
not just misunderstanding, but it's the courage to welcome the adventure that the Lordship of Jesus brings. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, this past week, every year, I think, uh, this list comes out of the most popular names, first names for, for kids. You know, parents are giving these names to their, their children. Here's the list uh, of, of popular names. I don't know about you. I always look up the list, try to find where my name is. Um, you know, am I one of those one of those people up on the list? Is my, is my name in the short list? Here are the most popular little girls. Their names, Isabella, Sophia, Emma, Olivia, Aiden. Those are popular names now. Anybody got one of those names? Uh, the most popular boys' names? Jacob, Jaden, Ethan, Michael. I noticed Mark's not on there. Didn't make the, the list. John didn't either. Um, in the 60s it did, but... Not now. Uh, and here's the, here's the point. It's very odd that people are using these names. They're new names. They're not family names. It was always when you named your, your kid, you always used a, an old family name, right? Not now. They don't look to the past. Parents now look to the future. This is what we hope for our child. We want to name him something that talks of something good and what we hope him to be or her to be. Now, here's something that's extremely striking about this text. You notice what the angel says to Joseph. He says, you don't name him. Do not name this baby. I'll tell you what his name's going to be. You're going to name him Jesus. That's what you name him. Now, perhaps you've had a child. Or you know someone who did have a child. Parents love to name their kids. That's kind of like one of the rights. You put up with the kids, you know, at least you have the right to name them, right? A kid that you name, you, you only name someone you own or something that you own, something that's under your management, your authority to name, especially back in the ancient Near East. It's way more than labeling your kids so you could tell them apart. You name someone, that's setting the destiny and, and the direction. You show your ownership, your lordship. You show your, your authority over this child by naming them. So God comes to, to different ones and changes their name, shows lordship and ownership. Do you notice Joseph doesn't get that opportunity. He's not allowed to name Jesus. The angel is basically telling Joseph, if this child comes into your life, the child does not come under your management. You come under his. You will not name this child. This child will end up naming you. That's an issue of lordship. Now, you talk to to New Yorkers about Jesus Christ, and uh, they have a number of objections. Way at the top of the list is, I just wonder what my friends will say. I just wonder if they'll laugh at me. Uh, That goes back to that first point. But you know what, what tends to come up very often is this right here. I really like to do this. Will I be able to do that if I become a Christian? If I let Jesus into my life, if I receive him, I like to do this over thing, you know. I've got some plans. Will he help me toward those plans? Will Jesus get in the way of my life? How is he going to change things? I really don't know if I want to receive Jesus, if he's going to make me do that, because I want to do this. And Jesus Christ comes to us, and he says, you have no idea what I'm going to bring into your life. You have no idea what I'm going to ask you to do. And the point is, as your rightful king, he has every right to do it. So he has that right, and it takes courage to hear that. That's why people stand back. 
That's why they, they wonder, should I really accept Christ? Should I receive Him into my life? This is a new thing. I kind of would like to receive Jesus as the baby in the manger. He gives me a little blessing, kind of encourages me. I used to know a woman in New Orleans when I it was in a church there. And uh, she came from a religious background. She wasn't really a Christian. But she liked the idea of Jesus. And she said, every morning I wake up and, and Jesus is kind of sitting on my shoulder and he's smiling. I like that. I thought, you just want to keep Jesus in December 25th and about a week, you know, that's where you'd like him because he's safe there. He gets really dangerous when he grows up and he can talk back. When he becomes a Lord, when he stands up and says, I am the king. It's just like Mr. Beaver, right? In the, the first book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, what is Mr. Beaver, how does he explain the king, the lion, Aslan, to, to Lucy? Oh, he says, oh, he's good, but he's not a tame lion. He's the king, I tell you. That's Jesus. He's the one who comes in and you kneel before him. He doesn't kneel in before you. He names you. You don't name him. A lot, of, a lot of people wrestle with the whole idea of Christianity because of this. They are stumbling over the, the fact of lordship. I don't, I don't know if I want someone telling me what to do. I honestly think I can do that pretty well myself. I'd like to be my own Lord. But can you think about this? If you have Jesus, who's only your Savior, he comes in and kind of helps you a little bit. Boy, that life, that is pretty predictable. It's pretty safe. It's pretty boring. Jesus kind of comes in when I can't do it. He adds a little magic to, you know, and kind of helps me over the rough spots. But if Jesus Christ comes in as your Lord, now you've got a fascinating life. Now you've got an unpredictable life. Now you've got a life you don't know where it's going. I mean, think of it. Who among us is wise enough to know this is the way my life ought to be going? How dare we come to, to Christ and say, uh, I'll receive you if you kind of let me go this way. I kind of have a plan here. Can you work with me, Jesus? That's, that's not lordship. So Joseph shows us this other thing, the courage that we need uh, to not just receive the disdain of the world, but to deal with this, the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the second gift. Third gift is perhaps the scariest of all, and that's spiritual sanity. Another way to say that is truly understanding our own need. Uh, look what it says there. The angel, as he uh, speaks to, to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. And, and, and honestly, I think uh, this is especially difficult, even for Christians. You know, many, uh, many conservative churches will talk uh, to others, to outsiders, about their need for Christ. You should receive Christ. Ask Jesus into your life, they'll say. And many people do that without really having a clue what that means. You know what a lot of people think when they are becoming religious, becoming Christian, they're asking Jesus into their life? Many people hear that as, God, now I promise you I'm going to get really serious. I'm really going to work hard. I'm going to try. You're not going to regret that you forgave me. I'm going to get busy here. I'm going to work so hard. You'll be proud of it. And their Christianity is all about them. Friends, that's not really Christianity. I know some of you probably 
were raised in a church like that. And perhaps God very turned off. Perhaps you rejected that. Perhaps you're kind of coming back now. Or you have friends who are coming back and saying, you know what I experienced before? That was more about me than it was about God. I would love, instead of seeing my work so much, I'd like to see God's work. Some of you probably are, are kind of turning back and saying, I'm, I'm open to this thing called the gospel that makes more of an emphasis on who Christ is and what he does instead of what I do and my responsibility, though it's important. That's something that you see here as well. Uh, it's, imagine that this angel is actually telling Joseph, here's the true courage of Christmas, to come back to God and say, you know, I realize you don't owe me anything. I can't live the life that, that's required. I cannot live up to your standard. I would love to respond to you with great obedience, but the fact is I'm way more sinful than I ever thought. I'm way more broken than I really want to admit. Friends, that takes a level of courage. You know, a lot of uh, people who don't understand Christianity will hear this thing of uh, owning my spiritual need and, and realizing how deeply broken and needy I am for Christ. They hear that and they think, oh, Christians, how mundane and maudlin, how morose, how depressing, how weak you Christians are. You're always talking about your sin. Not in the least. I'm sorry. It takes great poise. It takes grace. It takes real strength to admit this level of need. Not just that you need a little help. No, I need more. I need a savior. I need a Lord. I need someone to come in and take over. Uh, one person uh, used to say, Christianity, it's just a crutch. And I remember a, a Christian coming back saying, it's not a crutch. It's a wheelchair. It's a gurney. That's, that's my kind of need, okay? That's what I need. You need so much more than we're generally willing to, to admit. That's courage. But friends, uh, that's the kind of courage. It doesn't just keep you lurking around the, the corners of the, the throne room of God where you're kind of slinking guiltily into God's presence, into worship. No, with your sin, with your brokenness, this kind of courage says, take the grace of God and walk boldly into the throne of God and admit your spiritual poverty. Admit your deep need. I don't get it. I'm not obeying. I'm not doing this. I need your help. Now that is the kind of courage that delights your father. That kind of courage that says, I am not going away till you bless me. I'm coming after you for this. That's courage. Now, let me end with this. How do you get that kind of courage? How does it happen? How do you, how do you change like that and have this kind of courage to really receive Christ? Can you imagine? This is what Joseph is doing. He's receiving Mary, right? And by receiving Mary, he's receiving Christ. How did he have that kind of courage? How did he develop that? Joseph was looking at Mary. And Mary had, had her own angelic visitation. Luke chapter 1. She had this amazing visitation, and she, she hears the gospel. That God himself is going to sacrifice. He's going to give his own son. And the blessings of the cosmic kingly Messiah are going to come to her, 
to a disobedient people. Not a people who deserve it. A people who don't deserve it, but it's going to come out of grace. It's going to come. And she's so overwhelmed by the gospel of Christ. She sings this beautiful song, the Magnificat, we call it. She sings this. You realize Joseph comes and sees Mary, and that song is still kind of on her lips. And that's what he sees. We don't know how it happened, but somehow something clicks as, as Joseph sees Mary. She's responding to the grace of God. And now she's willing to give her life away for her life to blow up. He sees that. You know what he has to be thinking? Why is Mary doing this? Why is she going to receive Christ? So I can be forgiven. That's why. So I can be forgiven. She's giving up her life. So I can be forgiven. And then he realizes as well, Mary, if someone doesn't come in and take care of her, what chance would she have in this society? She doesn't go out and get a job. She'd live on the verge of starvation, probably prostitution. Not for Mary, but for most women in this kind of situation, it would be an awful short life. And so what does he say? I don't have to do this. She's done this with Jesus. I don't have to receive her, but I'm going to. I see what she has done for me. I'm going to do this for her. It's the gospel. Both of them are living out the gospel. He says, Boy, by me identifying with Mary, I'm going to get her weakness in my life. I'm going to get her disgrace in my life. But, but that's how I can respond to the grace of God, by protecting her, making a family here. Friends, that's the gospel of Joseph. That's the gospel that we see here in this, in this text. You find yourself in, in this text. We're just like Mary. We're weak and we're broken. We're full of disgrace, and Jesus doesn't have to come, but he identifies with us. And when he does, all of our sin and all of our guilt goes right to him. That's what theologians call imputation. But it doesn't stop there. All of Jesus' honor, his blessing, his righteousness comes to us. That's double imputation, and that's, that's the gospel. Would you receive Jesus with the disdain, with his lordship with even deeply admitting your own brokenness and sin do you see what what promise there is as you do oh he fills your life with goodness and blessing just like he did with mary and joseph he looks at you and says you're beautiful don't be afraid to receive him let's pray together father thank you for the grace of Christ that reminds us how uh, deeply needy and broken we are. But because of, of Jesus, now I can look at other needy and broken people, strange people, poor people, people who have blown up their own lives. And I can say, I'm a lot like you. I can identify with them because of the gospel. Lord, I pray for those who have uh, perhaps made wrong choices. Perhaps they have done things. Uh, they're uh, poor in one way or another, uh, disgraced in one way or another, and they're tempted to feel ashamed. Would you convince them of this truth, that Christ looks at them as a beauty? And we can face anything with that. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.
And uh, let's take our thoughts about the glories of the gospel and the wonders of what we receive through Christ. And uh, reminding ourselves not only of the cost of what it means to follow Christ, but the glories of what we have in Christ uh, given to us so freely. Uh, let's stand and sing together a communion hymn for Christmas. Let's stand. As we gather here today, we are about to invite those who are aware of their need, who are aware of the, the shame, aware of their falling short, and who are in desperate need of the forgiveness of God and Christ, who are aware of their need for grace, we welcome you to come. Come and hear the good news of the gospel. God loves you. God has given his one and only son for you. Uh, God has done an amazing uh, transfer of imputing and placing upon Christ all of our sin. And on us who come in faith and who repent of sin, we receive full forgiveness, full adoption, and we are therefore clothed with the righteousness of Christ. What a good news we declare. It is Christ. We find hope. Let me just read with you what the significance of this meal uh, was explained by Jesus. In celebrating the Passover with his disciples as they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is to be shed on behalf of many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so again, we just clarify to say we are going to pass the unleavened matzah bread as a symbol of Christ's broken body, the price that he paid. We will, After we are all served, we will then partake together. And then we will pass the cup of the fruit of the vine, which is a symbol of the provision that he has made in sealing the covenant with his blood. And so the invitation for all of us today is to say, Am I in need of the grace of Christ? Then come and say by taking and partaking of these things, I am, I am like in a wheelchair. I'm like on that gurney. I desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I am looking to Christ to give me all that I need in him. Now let's, uh, at this time, we'll ask 